Uh, we're going to begin a new series of messages tonight out of the book of Genesis, and uh, it's on God's covenant with Noah. God's covenant uh, with Noah. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 will be, uh, we'll be looking in Genesis 8 and 9. Uh, about four weeks I see ahead that we'll spend here in God's covenant with Noah on our Sunday night services. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. God's covenant with Noah. Uh, now, of course, the first covenant that we find in Scripture is called the Adamic covenant. God's uh, covenant with Adam, with humanity, uh, made there in the Garden of Eden. And uh, the covenant with Noah, then, is the second one. There's some very broad and far-reaching promises that are made uh, that affect much of what we understand they spanned across these intervening years, and uh, we are still living uh, tonight under the effect of God's covenants with, uh, with Noah. And uh, we'll consider these things in, in careful. They are in, very, in a very careful way over the next few weeks. Uh, theologically, we refer to the flood as the deluge. The deluge, you'll see that in a lot of writings uh, it simply refers to the time when the earth was covered with water under the judgment of God. It might be easy tonight, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it might be easy tonight uh, for us to uh, dismiss some of these things as far removed from current events and the life that you are now living. But the fact is that if you don't understand the flood, if you don't understand God's covenant with Noah, and if you don't understand the Tower of Babel and what happened and the establishment of the city known as Babylon, uh, then you don't know much really about the course that modern humanity is following because whether we realize it or not, we are still following that course that God laid out for us so long ago. You never get away from Babylon. Uh, all the way over in the book of Revelation, you'll see that that's uh, where we came from, uh, humanly speaking, where humanity came from, uh, in a sense, as far as our culture is concerned, cultural tendencies. It's where we're going to, what, where humanity is headed to. And uh, that kingdom then stands in stark opposition to the kingdom of Christ. And that's where you and I are all a part of it. And thank God for His grace, because if it wasn't for that, we'd be right there with the rest of humanity, uh, trying to recreate, in a sense, uh, the Tower of Babylon. Uh, and Babel. That's where we uh, came from, where humanity came from, where it is headed to, culturally speaking, that influence of the kingdom of man throughout the Scriptures. In the same way, biblically speaking, you never really get away from the flood. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 5 for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Oh, I could preach a month just on what Simon Peter said in that passage. Uh, but uh, what he tells us very plainly is that the world that then was was overflowed with water and perished. And he was making that statement in response to the scoffers in his day who were denying the return of Christ, denying that anticipated judgment we know as the apocalypse. And uh, they were saying in, in, in their way of denying that, that all things continue as they were since the creation. Now these scoffers believed in the creation. <laughs> There's a lot of people in our world today who do not believe in the biblical account of creation. Uh, so in a way, there are even more scoffers than there were in Simon Peter's day. But Simon Peter says something uh, profound when he said, this they willingly are ignorant of. That's one thing to be ignorant. It's one thing to choose ignorance. Willingly, they want to be ignorant of. And that is that God has judged the world before. That's the point that he makes. And he's going to judge it again. And they're willingly, these scoffers are willingly ignorant of this. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, knowing this first, that they'll come in the last days, scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, these are of a religious kind. They're today what we might call skeptics religiously. Uh, many are self-professed agnostics. Uh, that is, they simply say they don't know. Uh, but for somebody who doesn't know, they seem to be very antagonistic toward the religious view of things. Scoffers. Simon Peter labeled them correctly, scoffers. Now, the reason why Simon brings it up is found, Simon Peter brings it up is found in verse 7 of chapter 3. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. The heavens and the earth, the sky and the earth beneath it, beneath it are not the same way that God created them in the Genesis account of creation. Simon Peter makes that very plain. Things are profoundly different now than they were in the days before the flood. Now, I'm not here over the next few weeks to give you a science lesson. I'm not here to give you ways of counteracting all the things. There are people who are doing that, and they're doing it much more effectively than I could do it. Uh, instead, I'm going to try to make some points uh, in your mind that would help us to understand how uh, important this covenant with Noah is, how far-reaching it is, and how it affects our life and it, how that it is absolutely accurate and powerful for us. One of the things that we need to get established tonight is that I believe, and I hope you believe, that the biblical chronology is accurate. It is accurate. Uh, the word chronology is simply refers to the study of the passage of time. Uh, the Bible presents a, a, a glorious day when it'll be declared that there should be time no longer. Uh, one of these days, time is going to be replaced by eternity. If it's going to end, uh, then there had to be a beginning of it, and, and between those two bookmarks is what the Bible declares for us. Uh, what came before that, I'm not going to speculate about. What comes after that, I'm not going to speculate about it either, other than what Simon Peter says in this very passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, but he says, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, 
and a thousand years as one day. Uh, God reckons time on a different scale than we do. And I've said it many times. I'll say it again tonight. Uh, time means not much to God. Timing means everything. God is eternal. And uh, I can't imagine a world, a universe. I can't imagine a life where time doesn't matter a bit. But I do fantasize every now and then about preaching in such a world. I'm going to tell you, I, <laughs> I, I just can't wait. I hope God gives me the voice and the mind to keep it going. Uh, the psalmist Moses in Psalm 90 and 9, and yes, I said that right, the psalmist Moses, Psalm 90 and 9 says we spend our years as a tale that is told. Now, a tale has a beginning, a storyline, and an ending. We spend our lives as a tale that is told. Our lives at its very best is a short story. Beginning, storyline, and an ending. And chronology, the chronology of Scripture uh, uh, has uh, that same kind of thinking. There is in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You say, what do you believe about that? I believe exactly what it says. In the beginning, God. Explain that to me. I can't. I can't. But I believe every bit of it. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve. They had a couple of boys. One of them killed the other. God gave them another son named Seth. People lived a long, long, long time. All of that generation, all of them, were killed by a worldwide cataclysmic flood of unprecedented and unimaginable proportions except for those who were preserved by God's mercy ship, the ark. Noah and his sons and daughters-in-law found grace, the Bible says, in the eyes of the Lord. I believe that the time that's covered in the chronology of Scripture can't be a whole lot more than 7,000 years, give or take a thousand or two, <laughs> depending on what commentary you want to read after and follow. But if you follow the chronology of Scripture, what's written down for us is about 7,000 years. You want me to speculate on all the rest? I'm not going to. I'll just stick with what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 19 tells us that the waters prevailed exceedingly upon all the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered about 25 foot deep. Now many today scoff at this. But as I believe in the chronology of the Scripture, as I believe in the miracle of creation that God said, God spoke, and the universe became, so also I believe in the biblical account of Noah's flood. The same science that scoffs at the flood and the water covering the mountains will teach you about the Ice Age when the great glaciers covered the whole earth. Same thing. 
Only difference is they say that what the glaciers did over multiplied millions of years, uh, the Bible indicates that the flood did over a period of a, not very long, just a few months. Noah's covenant is unique in Scripture in many ways, uh, not the least of which being that included the animals and the earth itself. It's repeated essentially three times. And the first time is in our text, uh, which we've read tonight. And then we'll see it again, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And your hand there delivered every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, food, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 9. And I behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, and neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. God's covenant with Noah. Generally speaking, we could say that the Noah covenant was established with certain principles uh, that were given to the earth itself. That makes it rather unique. It was also given to man and to all the animals and established certain principles that governed the interaction between man and beast, man and animals. Then it was given spiritual implications. And the spiritual implications then are outlined by the token of the Noahic covenant, the rainbow. We'll spend some time then tonight considering what this covenant says to the earth, the first part about it. While the earth remaineth, he said, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Before we begin to look at those specifically, I want us to notice, first of all, that sin survived the flood. Sin survived the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. But he said exactly the same thing in the establishment of the Noahic covenant that it is in the imagination of men's heart. From his youth up, he said, to consider only the sinful things uh, that come. And so sin uh, survived the flood. Now, there was evil in the hearts of mankind. After the flood, there's still evil in the hearts of Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah, and their wives. If you keep reading in the narrative, you're not going to read very long before you see it <laughs> flaring up again. For all that God's judgment had done, Listen tonight. For all that God's judgment had done, it was not a cure for sin in the heart of mankind. Before the flood, God moved in judgment, but after the flood, God moved in grace, saying that he would not judge all flesh again while the earth remains by water. 
Now we'll talk more about that ominous idea in a few moments, but for now note that the sacrifice that Noah had made, which pointed to Jesus Christ, is what moved them from God's judgment to grace. God's first act of grace was to shorten men's time on the earth. Before the flood, people routinely lived around 900 years. And they used that 900 years so well, didn't they? Oh, there were so many righteous people, so many godly people. They had so long to live. They had so much wisdom. They sought after God. They lived for God. Righteous just flourished in that time when people lived so long, right? No, just the opposite. They lived longer. What they do? They got really good at sinning. Now, I'm not telling you that uh, that means that they became an expert at it. I'm just saying that as they got older, they got better at it, especially at maybe doing it and getting away with it and being immune to it. They learned more and more and more about sin, and, and man got worse and worse and worse. We talk about how depraved teenagers are. but There's nobody, nobody more depraved than a dirty old man or a dirty old woman. Say, hey, men are old me. It's just the truth. We talk about how, how bad kids are, how mean they can be to each other. But you know what? Old people can be mean too. We can be, kids can be so jealous and so cruel. I'm telling you, the older we get, the better at it we get. And so it was a matter of God's grace that shortened man's lifestyle so that he didn't or man's lifespan so that he did not have to live 900 years anymore in a sin-cursed world and a sin-cursed body then we see how that god restored order his cosmos as i like to say it replaced the chaos while the earth remains he said seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease the flood had brought chaos to the creation. For 40 days it had rained. The fountains of the deep had been broken up. Everything had struggled under the relentless press of the deep. Have you ever seen a flood? Yes, you have. You live in Cabot, Arkansas. <clears throat> uh, the water just doesn't casually rise, does it? Imagine what this one was. We can't imagine. We've never seen something like that. The barriers between fresh water and salt water, between land and water were all broken down. There was massive, massive destruction on this planet. But now God is establishing His order again on the creation. And the first thing, and I don't think it's insignificant, the very first thing that God mentions is seed time and harvest. The very first thing that God did in His grace to establish cosmos, order in the chaos was to establish the law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Makes sense. Galatians 6, 7. I know y'all are already ahead of me, but I'll read it anyway. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, if we don't give up. And so in order to bring the cosmos order to the disorder, God in His grace then established that principle of seed time and harvest. 
planting and reaping. Then we find that God regulated the thermostat. There would be cold and heat. It's interesting that God doesn't mention lukewarm, but cold and heat. Now, climate-wise, I think any of us can look around these days and say that our climate has undergone certain changes. Uh, whether it's cyclical, just a normal climate change. Uh, brother, people ask me, do you believe in climate change? And I'll say again, of course I do. I live in Arkansas. Of course I believe in climate change. The question is, what's causing it? I personally believe the same God controls the climate that controls everything else in this world. That's what, that's what I believe. Now, do we influence it? I don't know about all that. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. I don't know, but climate is, is changing. It wasn't that long ago that they were talking about how we were heading into a new ice age. I have some of those magazine uh, pictures uh, in my files on my computer. The new ice age. Then we heard about global warming. Some of you remember that. Now it's just human-induced climate change, and we can argue about it all we want. Uh, but I still, fact is, I get cold quite a bit, and I still get hot quite a bit. Every time I shiver, I remind myself that there's coming a time when I'm going to be hot and sweating. And when I'm hot and sweating and griping about it, I remember that there's going to come a time when I'll be shivering again. God promised it. While the earth remains, this is not going to stop. They'll be hot and cold, hot and cold. But God went on and talked about the seasons. There'll be summer and winter. He didn't mention spring and fall, but we know that those are in there too. Summer and winter, the seasons. And climate is changeable, but it's somewhat predictable. And if you don't believe it, just pick up that supreme accurate forecaster of climate trends, the Farmer's Almanac. I looked at it, in fact, this week just so I could check about what was going to be happening today while I'm up here preaching about it. Well, according to the Farmer's Almanac, March 17th is not a good day to plant or to do much of anything else. March the 20th is a good day to begin a diet if you want to lose weight. I'm not making this up. The 22nd is a good day to get a haircut that lasts a long time. If you want to get a haircut that encourages it to grow, wait to the 27th. It's in there. The 24th of March is a good day to quit smoking, to set posts in concrete, to slaughter animals, and to wean children, among other things. Now you know. I'm not sure what incredibly complicated science and y'all are all afraid to laugh because you know a lot of people in this building really believe in the Farmer's Almanac. And some of you don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. And that's okay, too. Farmer's Almanac has been around a long time and uh, talks about various moon phases and other things that it puts together to tell you when to plant your potatoes and when to plant your growing beans and bush beans and all those things. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't very a complicated thing for the Farmer's Almanac to come to the conclusion that the second week of July is going to be hot and dry. 
I think that's pretty safe. By the way, it did talk about how that March, early March of 2019 was going to have some warm trends and then it was going to get cold. That wasn't a real big jump either. That happens a lot. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 20. Let's get back on a little more solid ground here tonight. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night. And when did God make that covenant? Right here in this passage. If you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may, you also, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. God uses this covenant with Noah then to establish the order of his covenants and the immutability of his covenants, to establish the faithfulness of God to his people and the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. How promise is it? How dependable are the promises of God? Well, it's as sure as daylight and dark, sunrise and sunset. We still talk about that. Every weather forecast uh, just about that you listen to. Sunrise in the morning will be at such and such. Sunset tomorrow to sun, such and such time. As sure as sunrise and sunset. Then he gives us a solemn warning. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. The warning is in that simple statement, while the earth remaineth. It will not always. It will not always. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. He gives us this instruction, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, Beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, to those who don't know Jesus Christ, the passing of days and nights, sunrise and sunset, just means sunrise and sunset. When the seasons pass, Sometimes abruptly. When we move sometimes as we do here in Arkansas directly from summer to winter with no fall. It seems like to us. But you know fall still happens. Leaves still drop. Everything still has its season. Passing of the seasons may not mean much to a lot of people. Every time we chill in the cold or sweat to the heat. As God's people, it reminds us of something else. It reminds us that the son, S-O-N, of righteousness is on the throne. 
Seed time and harvest, day and night, hot and cold, summer and winter. All of these things were part of what God put in his covenant with Noah, with the earth, and he established these things so that we might see them and understand that even these things operate in accordance with God's power. All of it. All of it. You know, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth its handiwork. Day after day uttereth speech, night after night, night after night, day after day, day and night. It's constantly doing what? Declaring the glory of God and showing His handiwork, what we'd call craftsmanship. God is a craftsman. And you see His craftsmanship all over the creation. The creation moves in order with the design of its Creator. Though it does not continue the same as it did, Simon Peter told us that, it changed. That's why God took the time to establish this covenant with Noah so that we'd understand though things have changed, the unchangeable God is still in charge. And He still rules over this creation. I've never seen a peach tree bear pears. I've never seen a strawberry bush bear butter beans. They're all doing what God created them and designed them to do. Heaven and upon the earth, all of His creation moves according with the design, divine design except We are the ones who fill our hearts with sin and rebellion, who reject God's plan, refuse His design. Yet even though that is true, it is us, you and I, that are the focus of His redemptive purpose in Christ. God loved us. He came to this world in Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sins and mine. And though he died and was buried, he didn't stay buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he gives forth in this simple plan. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That great redemptive purpose of God in Christ is playing out in the life of every believer so that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and transported us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So that where once we were under the power of sin, now we are under the power of our Savior. And that is an unbreakable power. And we are in an unbreakable and unchangeable position because we are now the heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is true in us because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not, He's not through with us yet. Isn't that good news? Because we, as Simon Peter told us tonight, look for that new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's going to be us too. That can be your future, your destiny, if you receive Christ as your Savior. 
If you haven't done that tonight, I plead with you to do so. And if you have, then let's thank God for what he did for us. And when we see in a few moments the sun going down, think about it. Yep. God's faithful. <laughs> there it is. Just like he said. When you get up in the morning, it's Monday. You see the sun coming up. Oh, man. Oh. After you groan once or twice, I'll give you two groans. But then move from the groaning to the glory. Thank you, God, that you're still on the throne. Because every sunrise to a believer in Christ is a testimony to God's promise in Genesis 8. He's still keeping it. He always will while the earth remains. Let's stand together, please.